Well, welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Trey. I'm the uh, senior pastor here at uh, Palview Christian Church in beautiful central Oregon, where snow has started to come down. The roads are starting to get frozen. Uh, and yet it's it's still just, there's a, a beauty of this season that I just absolutely love. I also love it because it's Advent season uh, at, at church, on our weekend services, where we uh, focus in on a lot of different uh, aspects of preparing our hearts uh, to put Jesus as the reason for the season. You know, the countdown clock for Christmas has already started ticking away. Um, I'm, I'm looking today is the first day of December, actually. I know that you're listening to this after the uh, 4th, uh, but uh, I, I do the uh, podcast a little bit early, and so here I am on the first day of December. Um, and, and I've got four weeks of these Advent uh, sermons laid out for us, so, and it gives us plenty of time to stop and, and um, I guess you can say ponder the wonder, if you will, the miracle of Jesus' coming into this world for the first time. You know, now as an adult, with all that goes on in, in uh, my life, all that goes on with my job, all that goes on in our culture in this day and age, Christmas seems to speed by. And the season goes by so quickly. But as a kid, and I'm sure that you're in this same boat as a kid, and the days between Thanksgiving and Christmas, those days seemed to drag by painfully slow. Because you knew something great was coming, right? But it seemed so long in getting there. So much so that my parents, who were traditionalists in, in most cases, they... um they decided to do something a little non-traditional as we were kids. They they saw that we took so long opening up our presents and enjoying our presents. And by the way, our family, we were one of those families that we opened up all of the gifts that had been accumulating under the tree uh, from uh, our, our cousins, from grandpa and grandma, from each other, uh, that we always opened those up on Christmas Eve before we went to an 11 o'clock p.m. Christmas Eve service that would conclude on midnight, um, which was a, a really cool uh, way of, of doing a Christmas Eve service. Um, and so, yeah, so we would open up all of those presents there. And then uh, during the night, you know, uh, somebody would replenish the, the, uh, the presents underneath the tree, and we would have more on Christmas morning. Uh, so, my my parents, they saw that uh, that Christmas Eve time was getting longer and longer because we would open up presents and just enjoy them and, and not necessarily want to tear into the next one. So they actually allowed us to begin to open up one present on the 23rd at night. So that, that helped that anticipation <clears throat> a little bit because we didn't have to wait for the 24th anymore. And again, as a kid, even that one day made a huge, huge difference. Christmas anticipation <clears throat> really is seen best through the eyes of a child. It's very, uh, very similar, by the way, to the anticipation that uh, the people of Israel, that they were experiencing, not just for a month, not just between you know Thanksgiving and whenever this Christmas was going to come around. They had been waiting in anticipation for generation after generation. They had been promised a Messiah, one that would save them from all of their enemies, that would restore Israel as the crown jewel 
uh, of all of the nations of the world, the, the Lord's favored. They were waiting for a savior. And sadly, sadly, uh, Jews today are still waiting. They, they've rejected, many of them have rejected Jesus as that Messiah. Because again, they have a different idea of what the Messiah is supposed to be. They, they think of this as more of an earthly kingdom. Whereas when Jesus showed up, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So for that reason, they say, no, you're a failed Messiah. And they're still waiting for their Messiah. Some Jews, though, are returning to God through Jesus. They see him, Yeshua, as their Messiah. And so we're seeing that more and more, which is encouraging. But for generations, for hundreds of years, the the Jews, the Israel, the people of Israel, they have been told a Messiah is coming, and they kept waiting and waiting. They knew that when the uh, the Emmanuel, uh, that's one of the titles that uh, he had been given by the prophets of the Old Testament. They, they knew that when he arrived, when the day spring arose, that they would actually see God's promised redemption. They would see his conquering power. Now, little did they expect it to happen quietly, without fanfare, in an obscure little village to an unassuming couple. This morning, <clears throat> or this weekend, we're going to be launching again our Advent season, preparing our hearts to celebrate Jesus' coming into this world. Now, I know that there's a lot of people who wonder, we don't really know when Jesus was born. Jesus never told us to commemorate his birth. Uh, I have people in my life that will tell us uh, that uh, birthdays were a pagan thing, and so the Hebrews never would have ever celebrated a birthday, and so it's wrong for us to celebrate uh, Jesus' birthday at all. And, and while those all may be true, <clears throat> I am certainly glad that he came because he had been promised, and it was a big deal then when he did show up. So I, I think it's good that we can celebrate his coming, uh, because without his coming, there would be no redemption through his death and resurrection, right? Without his birth, there would not be a death. Without a death, there would not be rebirth for us. Now, as I approach these four weeks coming up, uh, December 4, 11, 18, and 25, which is <laughs> Christmas Day itself, uh, Advent, uh, I find, is very difficult, uh, I, I, and I think that preachers, they have a difficult time with Advent because we like to be creative. We, we hate to preach the same sermon over and over and over. Um, you know, there, although there was a great story about a young preacher who, in his very first church ministry ever, um, he met the congregation, and then he began to preach the sermon. Um, and it, it was about um, gossip. After he had met all the people, he said, this would be a good sermon for me to preach. And so we preached on gossip and people were a little uncomfortable. Uh, they, some of them ignored him, but uh, they said, okay, well, um, yeah, that's good. Now let's go on. But then the next week he preached on the exact same thing. He, in fact, it was the exact same sermon. And and some people didn't notice, which was, you know, that's always funny when, when somebody doesn't notice that you repeated a sermon. But uh, some people have this odd feeling that, didn't we hear this last week? And they had. The third week he got up and he preached the exact same sermon. By, now, by this time, people knew what was going on. They said, okay, guys, we need to go talk with our preacher. 
And uh, they said, well, you know, let's give him one more week. So again, the fourth week, he preached on the exact same thing. By this time, the whole congregation had been talking behind the the, the uh, minister's back, and they had gotten the deacons and the elders together, and they, they were going to have this emergency meeting, and they met, and then then they called the, the pastor in, and they said, why why are you continuing to preach the exact same sermon over and over and over? Are you trying to not work for your paycheck? Um, are, are you trying to squirrel out of this? Are you trying to weasel out of this? Uh, you know, did you think that we wouldn't notice? He goes, oh, no, I hoped you would notice. He says, but I know that the gossip around here is so horrible that uh, I need to continue to preach on that until you guys change your ways, right? I'm going to... I will preach this sermon over and over as long as you folks continue to engage in the same sin over and over. <clears throat> now, obviously, Advent doesn't necessarily call people out uh, for sin like that uh, story of the young preacher. But Advent does talk about why Jesus came and the importance of, of his appearing and his life that would lead to his death and resurrection. <clears throat> So we don't want to do the same sermons over and over and over. We like to be creative, so we look for different angles every year uh, to preach this Advent season. Well, this year, I decided that since I love music, and more specifically, I love Christmas music, you know, there, there are certain Christmas hymns that just strike a chord with me, a deep resonance, not, and not just the tune or the harmonies, although they, they are amazing, but there are some Christmas songs that you just cannot get over the fact that the theology that is found in those amazing hymns is just so deep. So this year, I decided that our Advent theme should be titled Heaven and Nature Sing, which obviously comes from a verse of a song that we're going to be looking at. Um, but I wanted to teach on these deep theological truths that are found embedded in some of the, the most famous, most favorite Christmas songs that we sing in church every year. So what better to, uh, way to launch the series than to look at a hymn that captures that anticipation, that long awaiting period that Israel had to endure for generations as they anticipated the promised Messiah come to earth. The song is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It dates all the way back to the ninth century where it was sung in Latin and it was used in formal masses in the Catholic Church. Because it was written sometime during the 800s, we don't know who actually authored the hymn. Uh, we, we do believe today that maybe it was even a group of monks that had penned the words to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But the, the references that they have to Scripture shows that whoever wrote this knew the Bible, knew the plan of salvation inside and out. When first written, the Latin text of the hymn was Veni, Veni, Emmanuel, and it contained seven verses, each one representing a different title, a different name for the Messiah, including Emmanuel. Okay, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And by the way, Emmanuel means God with us. We're going to look at that. But also wisdom from on high, rod of Jesse, day spring, King of or Key of David, uh, Adonai. So it's more than just a hymn. The, the subject matter, which is based on the prophecy of Isaiah, found in Isaiah chapter 7, the subject matter is a description 
of this desperate anticipation of the Israelites for the birth of a child who would be God with us. It would be God coming down in the flesh. Now, the concept of God living with man had its origins in, in the creation account, the Garden of Eden. God had been present there with Adam and Eve. He would come down in the cool of the day and walk with them. It's apparent. But as a result of the fall, the relationship between God and man had been broken. God came down in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve hid from him. And so uh, because of their sin, God meted out the consequences. And one of those consequences was that Adam had to be exiled from the garden. And there was always going to now be something in the way of his relationship with God. Adam was exiled from God's presence, you could even say. So from that point forward, the restoration of God's presence, the restoration of God's presence with man becomes a major theme prophesied by uh, Old Testament prophets, uh, uh, celebrated in the Psalms. It, it's seen throughout Scripture. For instance, God chooses from the table of 70 nations that we read of in Genesis. He chooses from those 70 nations one people, uh, the, the people of Israel. He wanted them to be his special people. Now, it was through those people that he would reestablish his presence with mankind through the tabernacle and then through the, the temple. His idea was that I'm going to show myself through these people so that the rest of the nations can see how good I am and they'll want to come and have a relationship with me again. In its earliest form, God's presence with his people was seen in the uh, not just the, the fact that there was a tabernacle where his spirit would would, would uh, dwell, but in the uh, implements of, of the worship, the altar, the, the candlesticks, the altar of incense, the, the, the table of showbread. God was showing his people his presence, wanting to reestablish his presence with mankind. At the time of the exile into Babylon, Ezekiel, the prophet, saw God's presence leave the temple. As a, as a result of the people's sin then. But through Ezekiel, God reassured his people that there was going to be a, a time that was going to be coming where he was going to restore his presence with his people in a way that would go beyond the temple. It would not be in a temple built with human hands because that was not sufficient, that he was going to actually come into their lives. It's so cool that then in the New Testament, <clears throat> in the book of Ephesians, God's people are called his holy temple. When the, in the fullness of time, then Jesus is born. And Matthew tells us that Jesus' birth took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to his people through the prophet Isaiah. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we are reminded of that prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give a sign. Look, the virgin will be with child and will bear a son and will call him Emmanuel. For that means God with us. That comes again from Isaiah chapter 7. Jesus is God with us. He is God put on flesh. He is Emmanuel. So that's, that's the importance of the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because we are saying we want God's presence to be reestablished among mankind. I, I want to break down the verses real quick uh, in, in the rest of our time, and it won't be a real long message. Verse 1 of the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God 
appear. Now, that first verse emphasizes the person of the Messiah. It refers back to the prophecy in Isaiah 7. It, it, it begins by appropriately striking the chord of the deity of Jesus. He's not just a good man, a good teacher. He is truly God with us. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That's the cornerstone of our faith. It's the truth that sets us apart from every other religion in the world. We understand, we declare emphatically that Jesus, the Messiah, that baby in the manger, is actually, and, and, and we can't explain it because it's so far beyond what we would have imagined, but that baby in the manger is the God of the universe, come down in human form. It's clear from what Scripture teaches. At the beginning of the book of Hebrews, the author proclaims that the Son is the radiance of God's glory. The Son is the exact representation of God's being. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. So our Christmas carol begins where any documentation, any, any declaration on the central figure of, of Christmas must begin with a declaration of Jesus' true identity. He is nothing less than Redeemer God in the flesh. He is worthy of the name Emmanuel because that was his purpose to even come down here. That's why Christmas or the celebration of Jesus coming into this earth is so important. Is because God became man. He put on flesh and dwelt among us. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Now let's look at verse 2. O come, thou dayspring. There's another title for the Messiah there. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here, thy coming. That's what advent means. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. In Luke chapter 1, verse 78, Zacharias, the, the priest, declared, the dayspring from on high has visited. Uh, if you want to look at a more literal translation of that verse, uh, he actually says, God has visited us just like the sun rises from heaven. Now that actually has shades, echoes of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, which says the people that walk in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of the death, upon them the light has shined. Now Zacharias, who was the, uh, the, the priest at the time that would go in and make the sacrifices for the people, he's rejoicing because God, he is recognized. God has broken through our blinding darkness like the radiance of the morning sun after a long, dark night. How does he know? Well, because Zechariah was also given a promise. God showed up and said, Zacharias, uh, your son, your son will be the one that will usher in the, the ministry of the Messiah. So he's rejoicing because God has broken through that darkness. Just like after a long period of darkness, the sun finally rises, and now things begin to make sense. They become clear. You see, light changes everything. When you shed light on something, whatever it is you're looking at looks different. It's easier to navigate in this world where there is light. And so that's exactly what the ministry of the Messiah would be. Jesus would come and do the same thing for us spiritually. He would come and illuminate this dark world to show us what God's heart truly was all about. 
he would declare that he is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, which is good because I don't know if you've ever tried to navigate even your bedroom at night when something is not in place. It can, it can bring a lot of damage. It can hurt. So he has come to illuminate. And, and forever, anyone who follows him will never walk in darkness, he says, but they'll have the light of life. So, O come, O come, thou day spring, we are, we are asking the Messiah to come and illuminate God's heart so that we can truly see our way in this dark world. Jesus is the day spring as he is the light of the world. Verse 3, verse 3 says, O come, thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us, the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to go. It's very interesting that uh, we call wisdom her. Well, that harkens back to the Old Testament, to the book of Proverbs, where King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, would actually uh, personify wisdom as a woman that is a, uh, a something to uh, a person to... Uh, be attracted to, to hold on to, to establish a relationship with, uh, it, it, as opposed to the harlot um, that uh, would be the opposite of wisdom. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, we heard, uh, you know, we hear this all the time during Christmas time. Uh, it foretells the various titles of the, or the offices that the, the Messiah will hold. You know, it says, and he shall be called Wonderful counselor. Ah, wonderful counselor. Uh, a counselor brings wisdom into a situation, right? See, wisdom is closely linked to God in, in Scripture. Genuine wisdom finds its roots in God and his word. The fear of the Lord, we are told, is the beginning of wisdom. And like I said, uh, Solomon personified wisdom in the Old Testament, described as this constant companion of God. Proverbs 8 uh, is, is a great uh, place to, to look at. Uh, Paul describes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, to, those whom, uh, to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. So it wasn't just personified in the Old Testament, but Paul tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Now, it, it, there, there's a great parallel. For example, in Proverbs 8, wisdom was in the beginning. John 1, Jesus was in the beginning. Proverbs 8.30, wisdom was with God. John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus was with God. Proverbs 3 and 8 and Isaiah 7, wisdom was the co-creator. Well, according to John 1, 1 through 3, Jesus was the co-creator. Proverbs 9 tells us that wisdom provides light. Also in John chapter 1, Jesus provides light. In Proverbs chapter 9, wisdom is the bread or the substance of life. And in John chapter 6, Jesus is the bread of life. In Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is the door, and it's the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus is the door and the good shepherd. Proverbs chapter 3 and 8 and 9, wisdom brings life. John 11, Jesus is life. Proverbs 3 and 8, wisdom is the way. From John 14, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. You see, Jesus is the wisdom from on high. For us, life and faith are filled with shadows and questions. 
But Jesus doesn't have those kind of limitations. He is omniscient. So it really would be good for us to continue to bring Jesus into our life, his words, to live by them, because they are so much higher than what we can ever think of or or see. He is the wisdom from on high that deserves our full attention and our full devotion. Finally, verse 4 of the song, O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid thou our sad division cease, and be to us the prince of peace. Now, this we're only doing four verses today. Because when we sing this song in our church, in our tradition, in our hymnal, there are only these four verses. Again, uh, in its original form, it had seven verses. But uh, this this last one is is the one that is the last one we're going to look at because it's the last one in our books. But what an amazing vision that it gives to us about what Jesus has come to do. See, we speak of, during this time, peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? You see that on cards, you, you hear that in commercials, peace on earth, peace on earth. All nations claim peace on earth is their desire, right? There seems to be this endless search for peace on earth. We even search for peace through war. But peace will never be found through human mechanisms. Peace will never be established by man. Because at our hearts, we are sinful. If it was possible for man to to usher in peace on our own, I think we would have done it by now, right? But here's the truth. Peace can only, true peace can only be accomplished in God's time through God's means. And God's means really is God's son. You know, Isaiah, the prophet, longed for world peace as well. But he knew he had the wisdom from on high, right? He he knew when and where it was going to be fulfilled. It was going to be when Jesus, or the Messiah, who is going to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, would be prince of peace. It's a wonderful thing that there are Christmas carols for the real world. In O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we find both hopeful anticipation amidst weary endurance. Uh, You find exuberant joy in the faithfulness of God, but you also are still hoping for that day that everything will be fulfilled. So whether you're mourning over the state of the world as you desire peace and hope to come, or whether you have discovered a reconciliation with your creator that comes from receiving and and identifying the long-awaited Messiah, the, the the chant that becomes, O come, O come, Emmanuel, it's all punctuated. Doesn't matter. All four verses that we sing are punctuated at the end with a powerful declaration of joy. No matter if you're still anticipating or whether that day spring has come or whether you are now operating with that wisdom on high or whether you're still anticipating the one day where the Prince of Peace will bind all together. There is a joyful statement, declaration at the end, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That's a statement of faith, isn't it? 
That's a declaration of what we are absolutely sure of, that one day <clears throat> Emmanuel will come. Now, for Israel, Emmanuel did come 2,000 years ago, came into this world to show us the Father. And as he came the first time, Jesus has promised that he will come a second time. And when he does come a second time and bring judgment to this earth, that will be the, the time where there will be peace, finally, on earth, where we will have God with us once again forever, where there will be wisdom that instructs all mankind to where we are now doing the right thing because we have the wisdom from on high dwelling with us. The light will have dawned. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So before you lay the baby in the manger this year, before you look to the brightest star in the sky, it's important for you to spend some time with those from old, our ancient Hebrew ancestors, if you will, preparing and holding on to a hope that no matter how dark this world can seem, God is going to make his promises come true. He has given us the promise. He's written that promise on our hearts. This year, let's make sure we meditate on what we're really anticipating, though. Not the presence, not the, the gift, uh, like the car or the SUV with a bow uh, on it in the, in the driveway. What are we really anticipating? Are we, are we anticipating the good feelings that come, the, 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 the time of family getting together? Or, or are we anticipating the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the journey, the, uh, the annual trip to grandma's house? Are, are we looking forward to all of the? Is, is that what we're anticipating? Or are we anticipating a reconnection with our creator? And if we've already enjoyed that, are we anticipating other people being reconnected with the Creator? You know, that that reconnection, according to the theology of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that re reconnection is made possible only through the birth of the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. He is our source of wisdom. He is the light of our salvation. He is the true Prince of Peace that will bring reconciliation to the entire world one day. So I hope that when you sing that this year, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that you will understand that you are really truly seeing. O Come, O Come, Lord Jesus, make yourself known more and more in my life so that you can be made known more and more in this world. Well, that's, uh, that's what we're going to be looking at this week coming up. Um, it's good that you were with us uh, listening to this podcast. Thank you for your time. And um, and some of you have even reached out and let me know that you are listening. And, and that's so encouraging. I, I want to thank you for your kind words and your encouragement as well. I want to thank the team that puts these podcasts out for Lisa Welling, my executive producer, Steve Pittman, who is our tech guru here at the church. Uh, thanking my daughter, Donovan, who uh, gave me this cool microphone condenser mic that I can actually do podcasts on. And, uh, and I, again, I just want to thank you for tuning in. Let's uh, continue to thank God for the message that he has given to us, especially during this time of, of, of the Christmas season. May you continue to shine that message forth as you live your life 
single come. I will come in me.